You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. We've been working through this very interesting book together, and this book is basically a collection of memories, reflections, and instructions from the life of King Solomon. And um, it seems somewhat negative at times, and then he gives us a little glimmer of light, and then it's negative again. But what he's trying to show us in this book is that the, the whole point is to show us that there's no lasting meaning or purpose in anything apart from God. And so if you try to chase anything on this life, under the sun, for purpose, for satisfaction, apart from God, it's like chasing the wind. Right? It's like, it's like going up to that candle um, where the smoke is there, and, and right when you try to, try to grab it, it eludes you. Right? Like it's just, there's this, this enigma about life that when we try to chase things to bring us satisfaction, right when we think we can get it, it eludes us. And so um, in chapter 5, last time, we saw that Solomon took his camera angle and he turned it on religion. And he pinpointed how foolish religion even can be apart from a right view of God, apart from the fear of the Lord. And today we're going to finish chapter 5 and pick up in chapter 6. And a lot of what he's going to cover today is somewhat of a repeat of what he covered in chapter 2, but I think he brings it into sharper focus. So let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. The title of the message today is Satisfaction Sold Separately. Satisfaction Sold Separately. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word and to preach it, Lord. What a privilege that is for me. And I just pray that you would uh, keep me humble and just make this all about you, Lord, that we would leave here with a greater awareness of your glory, um, that you would stir up our affections for Jesus in this message. Uh, Just be with us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So to feel the weight of today's passage, I thought it would be helpful to recall again how wealthy King Solomon is. I've mentioned it um, back and forth throughout the series, but I wanted to do so again. And and the reason is because he's going to say some pretty stunning things about earthly possessions. And I want you to see that he's got some authority to back it up. Now, we believe this is inspired by God. So it's God's word. That's the ultimate authority. But it's also cool to see that the human author he chose in this passage um, is very much has some authority to speak on this topic. So in first Kings chapter four, we get a little glimpse of Solomon's daily provision for one day. Okay, so I actually did some math this week and converted some of it. But basically for one day, he needed over 6,000 liters of fine flour. Now, fine flour um, was very expensive in that day. So they pointed that out. And then they say over 13,000 liters of meal or husked barley. He needed 10 fattened cows. Okay, and then he needed 20 regular cows. (laughs) I like how they make the distinction there. And remember, this is just one day. Okay, so we need 10 of them that are extra fat, right? Nice and plump, got a lot of marble in the meat. And then we just got the regular, the the ones that kind of graze in the pasture. Um, So 10 regular cows um, or 10 fattened cows, 20 regular cows, 100 sheep in one day. Remember, this is his, his provision for one day. Okay. And then other luxuries like deer, gazelles, and specialty birds. And, and so they're just listing it out. Like this is one day. He had to feed a lot of people. He's very, very wealthy. On top of that, in the same passage, it says that he had 40,000 stalls for horses and 12,000 horsemen. Um, so the guy, I mean, he's, he's loaded. Okay. And then in first Kings 10, 
um, we give, get a little glimpse of his yearly income. And this is where I probably wasted a lot of time studying this because I was, I was doing a lot of math and trying to see um, the, the weight of gold and the price of gold today to see how rich he would be today. Um, I came up with some interesting things, but his yearly income, um, back then they didn't have dollars, so it was 50,000 pounds of gold. Okay, 50,000 pounds of gold would, would just be brought into, into his kingdom. And that doesn't include a lot of the other things that you would sell and, and do things to make money, okay? That's 25 tons of gold, all right? Now, depending on the price of gold, um, it, it fluctuates, right? Um, it's, that's close to $1 billion uh, today. Um, I think it was like $850 million, um, but, it, but it's close, getting up there. Um, and at some points, it can be up there. And we're talking 950 B.C., Okay, so uh, this, this guy was very, very loaded. Um, it's estimated, now I found this as I was, I was studying, it's estimated that today Solomon would be worth about $2.2 trillion. <laughs> okay, so, so the guy knows what he's talking about when he talks about wealth, all right? I wanted you to see that um, because this guy's no joke, okay? So with that backdrop, here's what he's about to lay out for us when it comes to earthly possessions. He's going to say, first of all, earthly possessions can never satisfy, right? And he's got some authority to say, I tried, right? It didn't satisfy. He's going to say, secondly, enjoy what you have as a gift from God. And lastly, the alternative to this is a miserable and meaningless life, okay? So that's a little preview of where we're going today. So let's look at that first one. Earthly possessions can never satisfy. We're going to pick up in um, chapter 5, verse 8. And Randy Elkhorn has a book called The Treasure Principle where he takes all of these little things and he kind of summarizes them into nice little points. So I took a few of those and I made my own and I worded them a little different. But Solomon's going to give us like seven different reasons that earthly possessions can't satisfy. So you can take notes if you want. Don't feel pressure to. Um, it's a lot of information, but I'm just going to walk through the passage, okay? The first reason earthly possessions can't satisfy is because the more you have, the more you'll want, Verse 10 says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. So, so we know that, that this is actually true just because the Bible says it, but also from our experience, we can see that the more we get, the more we tend to want. Um, we, you've probably heard of the story of John D. Rockefeller. He was one of the richest men in the world at his time. And they asked him, how much money is enough? And he famously answered, just a little bit more. <laughs> just a little bit more, right? It seems as if the more a person gains, the more they want. And, and there's just this unending um, desire for more. All right? The next reason is because the more you have, the more others will take. The more others will take. I like this. Verse 11. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. Now, those of you with kids understand this one, right? <laughs> uh, whether it's family, friends, or the government, right? It seems like every time we get a handful of money, there's two hands reaching for it. That's kind of what Solomon is saying. And, and in verse 8, we didn't read it, but he kind of talks about the oppression of politics and government and how that can kind of um, creep into this whole discussion. But the more you have, the more others will take. Thirdly, the more you have, the less you use. Um, in the end of verse 11, and what good is there to the owners thereof saving the beholding of them with their eyes. So he's saying, when you get all this money, not only are people trying to take it, but you can't even use it, and so you're just st sitting there looking at it. And, and I was laughing as I was studying this because I was looking around um, my house, and I was like, look at all the stuff. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a wealthy guy by any means, right? Um, but I'm looking at all the stuff I just don't use, 
Right? Like in America, we're so wealthy and we have so much stuff that's just sitting there. And as I was driving here today, I was thinking, looking at all the houses. And look, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a summer home. But think about how many people don't have any home. And, and we've got like two or three homes, right? Like we are just so loaded. And what Solomon is saying, the more you get, the more you're like, I, I can't even use all of this. We've got stuff just sitting around um, that we don't even use. And so that's another reason um, possessions just really can't satisfy. Um, number four, the more you have, the more you worry. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. What he's saying is a hardworking man will always get a good night's rest. It really doesn't matter if he gets a lot to eat or a little because he works so hard that day that he's exhausted and he falls asleep. Right, like we are plagued in America today with like a lot of sleep issues. Like people are um, having trouble sleeping, and and it's like if we if we would just work hard, I mean, really work hard in a day, I don't think we would have as much trouble sleeping. Now I know there's medical conditions, but I mean, people I think back when they were always all working out on the farm, they would laugh at us, right? They like you're having trouble sleeping. Like here, take this plow and get to work. Like that that'll help, okay? But but what Solomon is saying, and Kurt's like, yeah, he, he Kurt does underground construction. He's like, I don't have a problem sleeping right um so so when we work hard a working a, a laboring man his sleep is sweet but a rich man not only was he not working um he was filling his stomach it seems to say and so that was kind of keeping him from sleeping but he, there's this worry because there's all this possession to think about i mean and when you think about in america like um did i lock the office when i left did i i'm not sure um or how are my investments doing is the garage door closed Right? Is, is that stuff? And we've got so much possessions to think about. And Solomon's like, the more we have, the less we're just able to just enjoy our night and be able to sleep. So not only that, number five, the more you have, the more it hurts you. Verse 13, there is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. Now this is kind of an interesting paradox, but what he's saying is that wealth and ease can actually be very unhealthy both spiritually and physically. Like there is a damage that takes place from having an abundance of wealth and ease if we don't have the right perspective. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, uh, I like what Derek Kidner points out about this. He said, think about all the money we spend on exercise machines and gym memberships just to undo the damages of money and ease, right? Like we have so much money um, that we can buy so much food and we can just sit around so much that we have to spend more money to buy exercise machines and gym memberships to keep up with the money and the ease that we have. Like it, it's this crazy paradox that the more we get, the more it can be damaging to our souls um, and to our bodies. Um, there's this, this paradox when it comes to gaining. Um, number six, the more you have, the more you can lose. Verse 14, but those riches perish by evil travail. And he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. So he's saying, in the end, money is just not a stable, reliable thing to put your trust in. Um, like today, we can lose a lot in the stock market and bad investments and things like that. I mean, back then, their ship could just sink in the ocean. Like, pirates could come, take their stuff, right? Like, like it's always been like this, that money is not stable. And what he's saying, you can lose it all in, a, in an evil travail, in a bad investment, in a bad deal. It's all gone. And then you have a son, and you've got nothing to give him which I thought was cool because he's actually 
pointing out that it is good. Proverbs mentions it is good to try to, to save for people other than yourself so that you can leave an inheritance for people. So there's not, it's not this negative attack against wealth. It's about, it's about your mindset and your attitude. But what he's saying, if you put your trust in that wealth, um, you could lose it all in one bad deal. And then, then where's your trust? Right? In a bad investment or at the bottom of the ocean, then you've got kids and you've got nothing to give them. He's saying, and so he's just pointing out the frustration of wealth. And, and you just wonder um, where, where some of this is coming from. And number seven, the more you have, the more you'll leave behind. Verse 15, um, as he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? It's like, where's, where's the end, end net gain here when a guy dies? Right? Spends his whole life chasing the wind, trying to attain wealth. He can't take any of it with him when he dies. Unless he's an Egyptian pharaoh, then, then they'll bury it with him. But even that, like the guy can't use it, right? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. So this one's obvious, but, but we, we say it all the time. You can't take it with you. What are you going to do? Line the walls of your coffin with dollar bills, right? Like stop chasing the wind because you can't take it with you. So there's seven principles that he just lays out in chapter five, which kind of brings us to a question. Well, what's the solution? Solomon, are you saying that we should just not have money? It should not have earthly possessions. That's not what he says. Um, in fact, he's going to say, enjoy what you have as a gift from God. In verse 18 in chapter five. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Verse 19, every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. That's what he's saying here, okay? Verse 24, he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. So Solomon's solution to the vanity, to the emptiness of earthly possessions, right? From the youngest of us kids who, who we want to we get that latest, greatest video game to the oldest of us who wants to get that brand new car. What Solomon is saying here is that the answer to that is to recognize that satisfaction is sold separately. Right? When you buy that car, it doesn't, it doesn't include satisfaction. When, when you get something um, of earthly possessions, it doesn't include a natural satisfaction that comes with it. What we have to do is we have to recognize that everything, everything comes from the hand of God. And when we have that mindset, we aren't looking to these things for satisfaction. We're not looking to them for contentment. We're not looking to them for fulfillment because we recognize they can't do that. Now, if you were here um, when we preached through chapter 2, you're going to see this is, this is very similar to what he said in chapter 2. And, and I love this, this mindset of just be content, right? Like just be content. You're on the treadmill of life. You're chasing things and, and you're never going to be satisfied with those things. So instead, stop, get off the treadmill Recognize that everything you have is a gift from God and enjoy it. Like just enjoy it because listen, if we never see the giver behind the gift, then we'll ask the gift what only, to do what only the giver can do. 
If we never see that this is from God, then we'll look to this gift to be our God. And I've said it so many times that, that cars are fun, right? They, they make a, a good use of a car to be able to drive here, but cars make terrible gods, right? Uh, the same is true with relationships. I love my wife. She's a great wife. She, she satisfies me. She's great. But, but she makes a terrible God. And when I look to someone or look to a thing to bring me what only God can bring me, not only am I putting an unnecessary weight on them, I'm chasing the wind. I'm chasing the wind. And what Solomon is saying is stop looking at good things and trying to turn them into ultimate things. They can't satisfy. These earthly possessions can't satisfy. So instead, look to the giver behind the gift and be content that he would be so loving and gracious to actually give you these things to enjoy. Stop chasing the wind. Stop chasing the wind and enjoy the little things in life. Now, I'll, I'll elaborate more on this when we close, but I want to move on to Solomon's next point because I think it's kind of going to complete this idea because next he's going to show us the alternative to this. So, so he's saying earthly possessions can't satisfy. What you should do, you should be content, recognizing that everything is from the hand of God. And if you're not content, let me show you what that looks like. And so... The last point is the alternative is a miserable and meaningless life in chapter 6. Now I want to warn you ahead of time, this gets pretty dark. Solomon's going to say some things that are pretty shocking, um, but he he has a purpose behind it. So let's look, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 6. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor... So that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. What he's saying is that when I look around, like I just told you to be content in all the things that God has given you, but when I look around, you know what I see that's more common? I see men who get everything that they could possibly want. I mean, you make a list of your soul's desires, and it seems as if God just says, here, you can have that. You can have all of that stuff. But the one thing that God doesn't give them is the ability to actually enjoy those gifts. So if you can imagine a cup, and you just want to fill it with with pleasure and enjoyment, it's almost like God allows a car to go in there, a little bit of money go in there, a little bit of good things to go in there, but he leaves a little bit so that there's just always this lack. There's always this wanting. We can't quite enjoy it and God does that out of love out of grace because he wants you to see he is behind the gift he'll he'll give you things in this life he'll let you pursue he'll let you work hard he'll let you make a lot of money but he doesn't give you satisfaction from those things because he loves us and he knows the only place we can go for true satisfaction is him and Solomon says I'm looking around and it's this evil that I see Like these men are are so successful and they're getting everything that they want, but they're not satisfied. He's like, it's vanity. It's like chasing the wind. Verse 3. If a man beget an hundred children and live many years, so that the days of his years be many and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness and his name shall be covered with darkness moreover he hath not seen the sun nor known anything this hath more rest than the other now like i said this is pretty dark especially for those of you who have experienced what he's talking about but what he's saying is if a man has a hundred children 
and lives many years, which are both examples of extreme prosperity and fruitfulness. All right, especially in that day. Like if a guy has 100 children and lives many years, then he's got a lot of good stuff. But if he's not able to enjoy them and find contentment in them, then Solomon says it's better for a stillborn child. It's better for a miscarriage. Now, now this is why I said it's dark, but, he, but he's not trying to make light of the miscarriage. He's saying that baby doesn't have to live this evil life under the sun. That baby doesn't have to chase um, the wind for all these years and have all these children and gain all these possessions only to be left unsatisfied at the end. That baby comes and dies and he never has to see the sun. But this man has lived his entire life and he still hasn't found contentment and satisfaction. Now it's dark, but he's trying to wake us up. But he's saying that if you're going to spend your entire life running on the treadmill chasing things for satisfaction, it would be better if you had never been able to get past the hospital room when you were born. That's what he's saying. It's dark, but but you see what he's saying? He's trying to wake us up here. Verse 6. Yea, he continues. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath he seen no good, do not all go to one place. So he can live 2,000 years, but if he doesn't get this contentment and good, isn't he just going to die like everyone else? All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What he's saying, this is, this is, let me just picture your life. This is what Solomon is saying. Look at your life for a minute. All your labor is just to fill your mouth. So you work really, really hard so you can buy food, so you can eat the food, so you can go back to work, so you can work again, so you can buy the food, so you can eat the food, so you can go back to work and continue the cycle. That's what he's saying. And you're never satisfied. Okay? You can, you can have hot pockets in the microwave tonight, or you can have filet mignon, but tomorrow you're going to wake up hungry. That's what he's saying. And you're going to spend your whole life working hard, saving money, buying food, and you're never going to be satisfied. And some of you are like, oh, I found a loophole. I'll be wise instead, and I'll make other people work for my food. But then he continues, and he said, for what hath the wise man more than the fool? It's not better to be wise. It doesn't help. What hath the poor and knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. So he's saying you think that being wise behind all of this and and having other people do things and and making smart decisions is going to help. That's not going to help. The only thing that's going to help is recognizing God behind the gift. That's his whole point. And he's going to continue um, in this for a while until we get to chapter 7. And I think we'll get a little bit of relief. But, But here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you have got to understand that earthly possessions don't bring satisfaction. You've got to get that. And if you don't get that, you're going to live like this old man who lived 2,000 years, had 100 children, tons of stuff, tons of money, all that his soul desired, but he was never satisfied. That's the alternative to this life. So as we kind of wrap this all up today, I want to ask you a question. Where are you looking for your fulfillment? It's pretty simple. I've probably asked this question a lot of times this past year and a half in different variations and forms, but I, I think that's kind of what Solomon's getting us to look at. Like to, to pause, to get off the treadmill for a minute, to look at my life. Where am I looking for my fulfillment? Christian or non-Christian here, where are you looking to find satisfaction and contentment? Because if you're looking at anywhere, anywhere but God, then you're chasing the wind. That's what he's saying. And here, here's what's terrifying for me as your pastor, okay? 
Here's what's terrifying to consider. That you will never have the resources that Solomon had. You will never have as much money as Solomon had. I don't think any of us in this room will ever reach that. You will never be able to reach all of your goals like Solomon reached. And so what you're going to end up doing is if you don't see this, is that you're going to spend your entire life on the treadmill chasing this thing that you think will bring you satisfaction and it won't and you're going to die on the treadmill unhappy. Look, Solomon got to the top and and God gave him enough sense to look around and be like, man, if this is it, this isn't it, right? But but we're never going to get to the top. Like most of us in here are never going to satisfy everything we would like to do and accomplish and gain in this life. And so rather than go through the pain that he went through, he's saying, get off the treadmill. Stop chasing. Where are you looking for fulfillment? If it's anything but God, it's not going to satisfy. From the youngest in here to the oldest, we all look places for fulfillment. Where are you looking today? Solomon is trying to scream to get our attention. Don't look to things to bring satisfaction. Don't look to things they're not going to satisfy. Listen, I've said this before and I'll say this again, but only Jesus can satisfy. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is abundant life. And he gives the good things in life as gifts to point back to him. But the gifts will never satisfy. So stop looking at those things for fulfillment. See, a lot of times what we do in this culture is we so compartmentalize God that God is this event that we go to on Sundays. But the rest of the week, I've got to do me, right? I've got to chase my dreams. I've got to fulfill my desires. And and what we think is we think that the church is there um, for this event on Sundays and we can worship God. um, And the pastor's there trying to make us good little church members. And he's trying to help our behavior. And and maybe God will be happy with my religious rituals where I come once a week and I give money. And that is not what God is after. God is not after your religious rituals. God is not after your church attendance and your giving. God is after your heart. God is after your soul. God wants you. And that's why when the people get it twisted in the Old Testament and they're all hung up on their rituals, but they don't actually love God, he's saying, I hate your rituals. I hate them. See, what God wants you to do is to wake up and realize that he's behind every part of life. He's not just an event on Sunday. He wants to satisfy your souls in ways that you could never even fathom. And look, I am not here to help you with your behavior. I'm here to point you to Jesus Christ, to stir up your affections, to get you to look to him, not to the things of this world, so that he can transform you from the inside out and you can be a light for him in this dark world. So that when we go to work tomorrow, we don't go to work for our earthly boss, we go to work for King Jesus. Right? When we go to enjoy a great meal and a big feast with family and friends, we can enjoy him on a deeper level than anyone else because we allow that food and allow that drink to point us to our good God and creator. When we sit there and watch a sunset, we can weep with tears as we think about the God who spoke this all into existence. There is a deeper joy, a deeper fulfillment, a deeper satisfaction that the Christian can have that no one else can have because we have Jesus. So where are you looking today for fulfillment? Where are you looking? Is it a thing? Is it a person? Is it an idea? 
Look, one of the things that I decided when I started pastoring this church is I wasn't going to leave you on Sundays with this lofty Christian um, religious uh, talk and have you go apply it yourself. I really want to bring this home for you. So I don't know what this looks like in your life, but I want to ask you a few questions to consider um, as we do this, okay? Are you looking to your money for satisfaction? Are you looking to status? Are you looking to success? Are you looking to comfort? I feel like that's big here and here on County, right? We, we just want to be comfortable if we're honest. Are we looking to our spouse? Are we looking to our kids? Look, I don't know what this looks like for you. Maybe this means you're going to say, I'm, I'm going to start making time on a daily basis to start seeking God with my heart. He's going to be my desire. I mean, every day I'm going to mark time in this crazy busy world that we're living in. And I'm going to pursue God with my heart because I need God and nothing else can satisfy. Maybe you're going to decide that you're going to strip out some of the things in your life that are distracting you from the ultimate purpose to bring glory to God. Maybe you're going to get counsel to try to realign your life around him. But don't leave this up in the clouds as, yeah, we can be satisfied with Jesus. Like, bring it down to Monday morning and ask, what do I've got to do to pursue Jesus for fulfillment? Because nothing else will satisfy. So seriously consider it today. Where are you looking for fulfillment? Listen, every single day, I mean every day, we've got to realign our hearts around Jesus. I mean, for me... It's several times throughout the day, right? Like I'll have a great time with God and then I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up. I'll feel like the devil's sitting on my head, right? Right? Like it's like in the wintertime that ice starts to melt in the day and things are good. The icicles are all melted. And the next morning, man, there's big icicles. It's like our spiritual uh, life is just cold when we wake up. And so I'm trying to throw logs on that fire every single day. And I'm, I'm looking for transitions in my day where I can kind of realign my heart around Jesus, because I know that nothing else will satisfy, and I'm pursuing him for my joy, for my pleasure, for my satisfaction. So ask yourself, where am I looking for satisfaction? And in the midst of all of that, I want you to hear the words of Jesus. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Hear the words of Jesus today. Come and be satisfied for all eternity.